Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. This is a, uh, a well-known passage uh, to most of us. Uh, uh, we've at least heard a part of it. If we've been to uh, a Christian wedding, we've probably heard uh, this passage read uh, at some point in that service, which is thoroughly appropriate as uh, the marriage is often in Scripture a picture of God's relationship with His people and and by extension, uh, a relationship uh, with each other. And so to hear this at weddings is just confirmation of that truth and that reality. Um, but it is, a, it is a passage that first and foremost is referring to, is talking about our relationship with each other as Christians. What does that look like? And as we've been moving through uh, chapters 11 through 14, we're, we're in that section where Paul is talking about what our conduct in worship looks like. What what goes into what components make up a healthy worship experience as a church. And we started with uh, chapter 11 with the issue of respect, that respect has to be present between uh, us in terms of our own perspectives, in terms of our own uh, individuality, if you will. Respect has to be present in terms of our view of who God has made us and, and treating our bodies in a way that is appropriate and that reveals and, and understands that creation, and then respect, obviously, towards God in terms of his position, his authority, his role in our lives. And then last week, we moved into chapter 12, and, and we dealt with the issue of diversity, that God has made us distinct and different for a reason, that your personalities, your attitudes, your, your mindsets, as long as they are not sin, um, they are something that God has given you. And that while you may not always be crazy about them, you may wish that God would change certain things about who you are, that God has made you who you are for a reason. And a big part of that reason is how you fit into the body of Christ that is the local church. That God has brought us together as believers to be able to function together, to use the giftedness that he's placed in our hearts and minds to be able to carry out a ministry that makes a difference. Now, as we concluded last week, we, we read verse, um, verse 31. It says, but desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way, a more excellent way. And, and what Paul is getting at there is the fact that diversity is hard. It, it's hard to maintain. It's hard to acknowledge. It's hard to, to live with. We struggle with people that are different than us. That's just part of who we are. It's part of part of our makeup, part of our structure since the fall that, you know, that, that person sees things differently than me or that person looks different than me or that person acts different than me. And, and we're like, ugh, that's so hard. How do I deal with that? I know God wants me to, to welcome them. I know God wants me to, to be in fellowship with them. I know God wants me to work alongside them and, and for us to use our differences for his glory and for his purpose and for his kingdom. But how on earth do I do that? How do I accomplish that with someone I just don't understand sometimes? I don't see where they're coming from. I don't understand what they're thinking. How do I do that? Paul says, I'm about to give you that answer. I'm, I'm going to give you an, a more excellent way, a better way to respond to each other. And that way is love. 
the third component of our conduct in worship that drives us, that motivates us, is love. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13, we read, If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to, to boast, but not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not irritable. and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage this morning, Lord, I pray that you would, would challenge us, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to those aspects of who we are, those attitudes and mindsets that we possess that are not reflective of your love and the love that you would command us to have. Lord, help us to repent of those things, to turn to you, to respond to your leadership. Be the people you've challenged us, called us, commanded us to be. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Love is the superior way. Love is better than all the gifts. Love is better than all the realities. Paul's first point here is that without love, all gifts are worthless. If I speak with human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Notice here that, that Paul uses um, the, the highest example of each of the gifts he's listed. In other words, he's listed the gifts there in chapter 12, and now as he comes into chapter 13, he's going to use the, the highest uh, ability of that. So the highest ability of tongues would be what? In, in his estimation, be to speak with tongues of angels. Okay. The highest gift of prophecy would be to what? To understand all mysteries. The highest picture of faith would be what? To be able to move mountains. 
the highest picture of giving would be what? To give away all my possessions. He uses, he uses the, the, the highest expression of these things. To say, even if I were the best of the best at these gifts, even if I were the best of the best at, at these realities in, in terms of how I practice them, how I experience them, even if I was that good, if I was the goat, as they say, in spiritual gifts, if I didn't have love, it'd mean nothing. Nothing. It's not about your abilities. It's about God working through you. And if God is working through you, which is what we understand the spiritual gifts to be, God at work in us expressing his desires for our activity and our attitude, if that is what is in fact the case, and God by definition is love, as John tells us in 1 John, then the gifts have no import. The gifts have no focus. The gifts have no direction if love's not present. Like clashing symbols. There's always that, that moment in the, the concert. Most of us uh, who had kids who were in band, uh, we spent a lot of time at band concerts. It's the thing that parents do. And you always wait for that moment when the, they crash the cymbals or they hit the cymbals or whatever it is they do because if you don't wait for it, if you're not expecting it, then what? You're going to jump. <laughs> you might have a heart attack right there in the middle of the concert. Oh my goodness, I did not expect that coming. So you got you got to be ready for those symbols. And and they have a dramatic effect, right? They they have a, a powerful impact on the music that you're listening to. But imagine a, a a concert where it's nothing but symbols. Probably not one you'd want to sit through. Probably not one you'd want to participate in. Because the symbol in and of itself really serves no purpose. It's just noise. And so to, to, to see that illustration is to say what? Man, you can speak with the tongues of angels, but you're not driven by love. You're just noise. You're just noise. What good is it? God's giftedness to us has a purpose, and that purpose is his glory and people's salvation. And if we're not using them for that purpose, then we might as well not be using them. That's what Paul is saying here. Now that begs the question, if, if love is at the center of these things, of all we do, of every spiritual gift we exercise, of every spiritual gift we communicate, if love is that essential, and the question is, what is love? What is it? And Paul anticipates that question because in verses 4 and following, he goes into what love is. He helps us to, to understand it. And the first thing he wants us to understand is that love is defined by God, not us. 
And this is so, so very important in the world we live in today because we have a world that tries to tell us and define for us what love is and isn't. And it is so very tempting to listen to those voices, to surrender to those voices, to submit to those voices, but the only voice we should be submitting to when it comes to the issue of love is God's. How does he define it? How would he explain it? And, and Paul gives us a, a, a fairly comprehensive list here. And I, and I want to encourage you to do something today as we go through this list. Okay, I want you to write down the list. You can do it in your head if, you're, if you don't have pens or whatever. But I want you to write down a list, and then as we go through each one, I want you to just simply say, is that a strength or is that a weakness of mine? As I consider that quality, that component, that aspect of love, is that something that, yeah, I could see that happening in my life. I, You know, God confirms that to your heart that, yeah, that's a strength. Or, man, I struggle there. I struggle with that one. I'm going to ask you to do something with that list when we get to the end here this morning. But what does love look like from God's perspective? What is it that he would have us understand? Well, it's multifaceted, of course. It's not just one expression. It's not just one revelation here. Henry Drummond in his description of love in his booklet, little booklet, The Greatest Thing in the World, says that verses 4 through 7 are, are like light passing through a prism. That when you pass light through this prism, what? You see what? You see the variety of colors. But what we understand is that what? All of those colors together form light. The white light that we see, the, the light that we see that, that doesn't seem to have almost any color to it at all, is what actually a composite of all the colors. And he would say that's what we have here in verses 4 through 7. That the love we share with each other, the love we express with each other, the love that God has called us to have is a mixture of all of these things. To have the real hue to have the real light that it shines and that shares, they all need to be present. And the first thing he does is, is he starts with passive and active responses to each other. He starts with our, our, our actions toward each other. And the first thing he says is that love is patient. That's quite a place to start, right? If you're thinking about qualities that maybe most of us struggle with. I know I certainly do. Patience is one of those struggles. But it's so essential to love because it's what? Patience, by definition, is unconditional. Patience is expressed with what? No matter what you're throwing at me, no matter what you're doing to me, no matter what's going on here, I'm going to have the same disposition toward you. Right? 
struggle with that. I think some of us are, our favorite sentence is what? My patience have about done run out. But if patience is at the heart of what it means to, to love, then by definition it can't run out. Patience is the reality of love which says that I'm going to desire the best for others even when I'm slandered or abused. Even when I'm mistreated. Even when I'm disrespected. And isn't that at the heart of God's love for us? I mean, we just sang several songs that reflected upon that. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. How did he do that? How did he do that? We sang about that a little bit earlier. God so loved the world that he gave us his only son. He left the glories of heaven to come and walk on this earth and die that death. As I've reflected before, a death that gave birth to its own expression, pain. The word excruciating comes from the word crucifixion. He did that. And as he's hanging there on the cross, having been whipped, spat upon, his beard pulled on, his hair pulled crown of thorns pushed into his skull. Nails through his hands and feet. People mocking him. What were his words? Father, forgive them. Hmm. How? How? Because love is patient, and God is love. Christ revealed to us, he communicated to us that truth. So that's the, the passive, if you will, in many respects, aspect of love in terms of our actions, where we're holding back what we'd like to do. Because we're patient. But then you have the active. Love is kind. Kindness seems to have gone out the window of late. We've forgotten as a people, as a culture, what that even looks like. We've become a, a, a nation of one-upsmanship. You did this to me, watch what I can do to you. We've become a, a people who no longer express kindness to each other. And I'll be I'll be honest, kindness takes intentionality. You you gotta you gotta desire 
to be kind. You gotta you gotta want to be kind. You gotta actively pursue kindness. It's not just going to happen. It's not our normal disposition. But kindness can play a major role in communicating the gospel, especially in a world where kindness is so rare. You experience kindness today and you're what? You're shocked. Whoa! Didn't see that coming. We're so used to people yelling at each other ignoring each other that any act of kindness becomes this grand act of love. At my previous church, we, we, we started something, and I may implement it here. We, we distributed these, these cards. And the card simply said, um, this act of kindness was a gift of love to you that's an outgrowth of our love for our Savior. It had our church name on it. And what we did was we instructed our members that if you're in a drive-thru, you know, somebody behind you, pay their bill for their food and hand the card to this person, to the checkout person, and tell them when they come through and they're, they're ready to pay their bill, you say it's been paid and just give them that card. And we had people who were, um, those drive through people, never had anybody say, no, I ain't doing that. We had other things that you did. Anything you did, you, you gave them a card. And it was a way of introducing them to the fact that the kindness was linked to what God has done for us. It was an expression of the gospel. And there for a while, our church became known for that. Oh, you're the church that hands out the cards. Yeah, that's us. Did you know what the card said, though? Did you pay attention to that? And it leads to witnessing opportunities. Kindness can go so far in expressing to people things that they don't, even though they're missing sometimes. So how are we doing on our list so far? Strengths and weaknesses. Where are we at? We got two strengths. We got two weaknesses. We got a mix. What are, where are we at? Keep track. Paul then moves into in his list to describe love from a negative standpoint. He's told us what love is. Now he's going to tell us what love is not. And he uses seven verbs here to describe what love is does not include. The first three are linked together. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. What is envy? Envy is more than jealousy. Envy is covetousness. It's it's looking at what somebody else has and basically saying, I deserve that more than they do, and I want it. It's desiring possession of that which belongs to somebody else. And it could be envy over anything. It could be envy over their lifestyle. It could be envy over possession. It could be envy over their spiritual gifts. 
or their role in the church. But it is impossible to love someone who you envy. How can you see the value of somebody? How can you see the importance of somebody if you're taking their qualities and their possessions as more important than them? Which is what envy, by definition, is. Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, according to Genesis. Why? Because they envied him. The gospel writers and Mark chapter 15 tell us that it was out of envy that the chief priest handed Jesus over to be crucified. You see, envy is this, it's like a poison. It consumes a person who holds on to it. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bone. So love does not envy. Then he gives us just the opposite. Love does not boast. If envy is desiring what another person has, boasting comes from the desire for others to see what you have. Look at me. I'm amazing. I'm wonderful. I bet you wish you could be like me, but you can't. That's the attitude behind boasting. That's the attitude behind what Paul is getting at here. And how can you love someone when you have to be center stage? When you have to be the focus? When you have to be the one that everybody's like, ooh, yeah, they're great. If you're constantly looking for what, uh, what you can get from others rather than what you can give to them, you can't love them. And then he brings in pride. Love is not. And the word here is a verb, not an adjective. The word actually, it's probably better translate, love does not puff itself up. Does not build itself up. Boasting is pride acting outwards in relation to others, but pride acts inwards in relationship to yourself. It's an act of puffing yourself up in your own eyes so that you feel superior to others. Jesus portrays this for us in the, the prayers of the, the Pharisee and the, the poor man. The Pharisee says what? Oh God, thank you that I'm not like that guy. Thank you that I, I don't struggle the way that person struggles. Thank you that I got my act together. That's pride doesn't necessarily find expression in the way that boasting does. But it's there. It's internal. And it is just as damaging, just as detrimental to love as is boasting. 
And it goes on. Love is not rude. It is not self-seeking. The word rude simply means an action or activity that is disgraceful or dishonorable. It refers to violating accepted standards of behavior in such a way that you make others feel uncomfortable. Basically, what he's talking about here is just simply common courtesy. This is love in relationship to society. I'm going to live, I'm going to act in a way that I'm not going to damage God's reputation with the rudeness that I live by. It can be immodesty, offensive language, disrespect. Another way to translate it might be, therefore love does not speak or act in a way that defies general standards. Love does not offend. It's another way to say it. Now we'll talk a little bit about taking offense here in a minute, but what we're talking about here is an attitude, it's a, it's a disposition that basically says, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, however I want, and I don't care what anybody thinks. That's not love. And this is hard because we are in a society, we're in a culture that is highly individualistic, that tells us to be your own person. But love says otherwise. And that's why it is paired, this, this one is paired with the issue of not being self-seeking. Not seeking your own advantage. Philippians 2, 3-4, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. That is the definition that Paul would give for this issue of being self-seeking. Love does not use people to gain its own advantage. You've heard the saying, some people love people and use things. But sadly, too many of us, what? Love things and use people. Paul would say that's not love. Love takes the attitude of Jesus who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We sang about it earlier. How can it be? There's a God who weeps. There's a God who bleeds. It's shocking. And yet, that's who we're called to be as well. Love is not easily angered. Or, as my translation uh, put it, it's not irritable. These next two actually deal with the short-term and the long-term of relationships. The first word is the short-term. It's not easily angered. It's not irritable. Whereas the second part is the long term. It does not keep records 
of wrongs. The short term is, is the person who blows off at the handle when something goes wrong, loses their temper easily, quickly. That's not love. It also doesn't keep any record of wrongs. I had, I had a colleague, I had a friend who got to a church once. He's a pastor. He had a visit from one of the members there. The visitor walked in and they literally had a file. And the, the member handed this file to the pastor, rather large. And he said, this is a record of all the wrongs pastors have done to me in the past. And I will stay here in your church as long as I don't have to add you to this list. The pastor simply said, how can you keep such a list when Corinthians says that love keeps no record? The gentleman said, well, I guess you're not my pastor either. And walked out. My friend reckons that his name is somewhere in that folder now. But you don't have to keep written records in order to violate this verse. Have you ever blacklisted someone in your heart? or waited to settle a score. This is one I struggle with. I have a long memory. And I'll be honest, there are people that I can remember from junior high that if I saw them today, I would have I would struggle real hard not to I don't know what. Respond. Let's just put it that way. That's not love. I got a big W next to that one. That's a weakness. How's your list coming? He then wraps up his list with contrasting statement. He's described love in positive terms, what love is in negative terms, what love is not. Now he goes on to describe a contrast. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Does not delight in evil. And this goes to the issue of the world's definition of love. One of the modern myths that's so prevalent in our society today is that love will tolerate all things, promote all things, deny nothing. If you love me, you're going to let me do whatever I want, whenever I want, however I want. That is our definition of love. That is not God's. Paul makes it very clear. Love does not delight in evil. Love 
by definition, can't delight in evil because God is love, and God takes no delight in evil. And so love must find expression sometimes in saying that is wrong. Love's not soft. It's not wishy-washy. It's not go with the flow. Love stands for something. And when it sees evil befall another person, love is never happy at that misfortune or gossips about another person's problem. Love, what? Rejoices in the truth. Takes joy in the things that God takes joy in. Whatever is lovely, whatever is true, whatever is right. Focus in on these things, Paul encourages us elsewhere. Why? Because that <coughs> is love. We must love the truth if we're going to love others. To simply sit by and let somebody continue in a lifestyle, continue in activity without ever saying anything that is counter to God's purposes is not loving. But let me also offer just a word of correction here as well. Paul tells us elsewhere, speak the truth in love. Yes, you are not being loving if you're silent about something that's causing damage to somebody, but you're also not being loving if you're being a jerk about it. If you're nagging somebody. If you're making somebody feel unwelcome in your presence. If you're making somebody feel like they are less than a person. There is a path to be walked there. There is a journey to be walked there. And yes, sometimes that journey does mean that people are going to take offense and leave and, and not be present. Sometimes they don't give you an opportunity to show them love when you speak the truth. But sometimes people leave and walk out because we're not being loving. We're just, quote, being truthful. There is a balance to be found there. There is an invitation to presence. There is a, a reality in which you can say, what you're doing is wrong. But I still love you. And I still want to be a part of your life. And I still want to be connected with you. And I still want to walk with you on this journey. And I'm here when you're ready to talk about this but I'm not going to stand over you and nag about this reality. Be clear with people. Too often we, we cut our sentences short. We cut our conversations short. Instead of going that extra mile to express and explain all that we're feeling, all that we want to express. Paul wraps it up. And I think this is really a good way to summarize 
what these things. Love is what? Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. And looking for that balance between truth and love. You remember these truths. In love, we seek to take God's side, share His outlook, and implement His design. That's the purpose of love. But you have to value it. You have to value it. The last point that Paul makes here is that love is all that lasts, so value and practice it. All these other things we value, all these things, other things we highlight, they're going to come to an end. Love won't. He uses four forms of the same verb here, talking about things passing away. Now, I'd love to be able to go into exactly all the, the different explanations for when these gifts stop and all that. There's all sorts of different views on that. But instead of doing that today, I simply want to highlight and say that love should take priority over seeking knowledge and gifts and other things because love remains. Love lasts. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is faithful service to the one we believe in. Hope is expected anticipation of good things from God, and love is a reflection of God himself. They're what? They're all God-centered. Now, where are we in your inventory? I want to ask you, as you think about your list, your strengths and weaknesses, as we come to this time of invitation, anything that's in the strong list, we pray here in a moment. I want you just to, to thank God for that. Praise Him for that capacity, for that ability. Because I guarantee you, if it truly is a strength, it didn't come from you. It came from Him. Thank Him for that. But if it's a weakness, I want you to do two things. I want you to pray for help from God. But I also want you to commit to trying to do things different. A lot of times we get the mindset, especially when it comes to loving others, man, change my attitude first, then my actions will change. When in fact, many times just the converse may be true. Change your actions and see if your attitude doesn't change too. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets, that when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. You injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. But if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. 
your attitudes will follow your actions. And so commit today that in that area that's a weakness, I'm going to actively pursue doing something different in that particular realm. Whether it's patience or keeping no record of wrongdoings or whatever it may be, I'm going to purposely, intentionally plan to do something different toward that person, toward that reality that I'm currently living. See if God doesn't also begin to change your attitude and your thought life in that process as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness, for your love. God, love beyond anything we can imagine, certainly anything beyond what we deserve. God, I pray that you've spoken to hearts here this morning. And as we've taken an inventory of ourselves and our actions and our attitudes, Lord, that we've been honest before you and that you have revealed to us things that need to change. Lord, let our light be clear and pure because all the components of love are there driving that light. Help us, Lord, to be repentant of those things that are not what they should be. Help us to love others as we love ourselves and as you have loved us. It's in Christ's name we pray.